Welcome to the Wednesday interview from the Sustainable Futures Report for Wednesday the 2nd of March. I'm Anthony Day. Before I start, let me welcome Sophie Jarvis, our newest silver supporter who has just signed up on Patreon. Sophie tells me that she's heard that infrared heaters are a better solution than a heat pump. I'll have a look at that and comment on it on Friday. Friday's big news will, of course, be the latest report from the IPCC. This document will report on the impacts of the climate crisis, and it's not expected to be reassuring reading. Today, I'm talking to Nick Spencer in Cambodia, who is helping local people to survive and thrive while protecting wildlife and avoiding deforestation. My guest today is Nick Spencer. He's CEO of Ibis Rice Conservation Company Limited based in Cambodia. Nick, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Now, all over the developing world, deforestation continues every day. It destroys habitats, it releases carbon to the atmosphere and it displaces indigenous people. In many cases, People clear the land because it's the only way they have to feed their families. Nick, how is your organisation addressing this problem? Thank you, Anthony. Yeah, I mean, I think you described the, the, the issues really well there. I mean, ultimately, um, we, we, we tackle the problem by going to exactly where the problem is. So we, we, we target our interventions at the forest frontier um, where the deforestation is happening. And we, we work with the communities that that are at times, you know, involved in the deforestation, but as, 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 you, as you suggested, are, are a victim of, of those pressures and the forest loss as well. So um, we are in business to go and work with communities, either on the boundary of wildlife sanctuaries or within wildlife sanctuaries, you know, where there is habitat loss, and to work with them on their farming, uh, uh, largely rice, um, to um, find the best possible markets um, um, for those farmers and to support the community of farmers. Um, um, and in return to, to improve um, their, their land tenure, um, to work on land use plans that recognize the importance of the habitat, but their, their needs as communities, um, uh, and, and, and to improve their livelihoods as, as, as much as possible by, by linking them to consumers that are interested in uh, uh, products that deliver impact. So. With Ibis Rice, that, that essentially means we follow three key principles. Our farmers commit to zero unplanned deforestation, so they, they follow the land use plans that we develop with them. Uh, they commit to organic farming, so our products are certified organic to um, EU, UK and US standards. Um, and, and they commit to zero poaching. As a result, we pay them uh, now about 70% above market price for, for following those set of rules. And we purchase all of their products. So we essentially look at linking them to markets that, that, that um, uh, to consumers that are looking for conservation outcomes, that are looking for high quality organic products, and as a result, improve their, 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 their livelihoods whilst um, protecting the environment around them. How can you manage to pay them 70% above the market price? Because I've been looking at your products in, in retailers 
and it's not a particularly expensive product and your price doesn't seem to be very far out of line than anybody else's so how does it work yeah i i think um again that's it's a really good question i mean ultimately we control the uh, the product from farm gate all the way through milling to packaging and to to the final uh distributor or the final retailer retailer shelf so that's quite unusual for for a, for a food brand to be working with the farmers directly on the certification. We supply the seed to farmers to maintain quality. We buy the raw paddy from, from, from each household, uh, aggregate that paddy, mill it to various um, varieties of rice. So I think really committing to, to um, that, that vertically integrated value chain. And also, you know, our priority is to pay farmers as much as possible um, uh, uh, for the outcomes that we're looking for. So I think it's two things, controlling the whole value chain. Therefore, you haven't got, you know, five or six stakeholders in the value chain looking for their own payout um, uh, and, and prioritizing farmer incomes over, over, over profits. Um, and I, I think, you know, our ability to pay farmers 70% above market price whilst um, being on shelf, like you say, uh, 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 at a very reasonable retail price, shows how, how segmented and potentially dysfunctional, dysfunctional a lot of the value chains, a lot of commodity value chains are, and why we see um, food companies struggling to deal with their deforestation commitments effectively, and why we see forest, uh, farmers uh, in remote locations where we're seeing deforestation um, uh, 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 not um, being paid what they deserve and not being engaged in the solution. Okay, just stepping back for a second, a bit of jargon. You mentioned paddy. What exactly is that? Yeah, good point. Sorry, I uh, I forget that this is this is my world and not everybody. <laughs> the paddy is the the raw grain that we buy directly from farmers. So uh, uh, a, a a rice kernel has a a layer on the outside which we call the husk, um, and and when we buy it with a with a husk on, um, we call it paddy. From the farmer so that's the the raw material we buy from farmers we actually store it in paddy form because that's naturally a much more robust um state for the rice to be stored in and then then we essentially mill which is uh de-husking um uh and then cleaning and separating the rice grain to order for certain specifications and, and certain markets so white rice is uh, has the bran layer on the outside polished off also, a bit like what you do with wheat for white bread. And brown rice is the same variety of rice, but without that bran layer uh, polished off. So yeah, paddy is the raw material. Okay, right. Apparently you are currently protecting some 500,000 hectares. Who actually owns the land? So they, they are wildlife sanctuaries. So the, the communities that we work with are mostly within, some on the boundary of three uh, wildlife sanctuaries in the north of Cambodia that make up a landscape known as the Northern Plains, um, which is really the last big swathe of dry tropical uh, deciduous forest mostly. And the last swathe of that, of, of that habitat um, used to be in southern Laos southern, and, and that part of Thailand and now northern Cambodia. So it's actually, we work very closely with the Ministry of Environment here in Cambodia. They have jurisdiction over, over the wildlife sanctuaries. And then the communities we work with 
We've worked very hard over the years to, to clarify their user rights and their land rights within those wildlife sanctuaries. These communities obviously predate the designation of these wildlife sanctuaries. And the wildlife sanctuaries are quite highly populated. Um, you know, this is common in Southeast Asia. So, so really a, a conservation solution has to be a community-based solution. So essentially the, the land is owned, well, is under the is public land under the jurisdiction of the Ministry of Environment, their wildlife sanctuaries. Um, and the communities we work with have, have land use plans um, in, in what we call community zones, which recognize their requirements from an agricultural perspective. Um, and, and also the important habitat around them and actually within the community zones. I mean, prior to uh, the work that we do with the Wildlife Conservation Society and the engagement of Ibis Rice, it's a very low governance system. So there, there was very, very uh, unclear tenure for, for farmers and often very unclear recognition of the wildlife sanctuary at large. You use some of the profits, I believe, for community development. How does this work? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, right now, most of our profits are being folded back into paying farmers as, as much as possible for their paddy. Um, we also make a, a annual dividend payment to the, um, uh, what we call the village marketing networks, which are our farmer representative group that actually are part of the Community Protected Area Committee. And we pay a, a, both an individual dividend to the farmers, but also a dividend um, which they can choose to, to um, spend on community projects as they see fit, whether that be um, the, the pagoda, which is, 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 is the, uh, the Buddhist um, uh, temples in each village or, or repairing a road or sometimes some tree planting or some equipment for the school, or, or in fact, saving for safekeeping. So there's, um, there's benefits to individual farmers, but yeah, we work with these community structures to, to deliver dividends um, based, on, based on the success of the rice season. And are there any plans to extend the area that you are working in, or are you planning perhaps to move to other countries or expand to other countries? So right now our focus remains within Cambodia. I mean, there is um, there's a huge opportunity to work with many, many more communities in many, many more landscapes. So we've now extended um, further east to a wildlife sanctuary called Siempang, which is a really uh, important wildlife sanctuary, similar, um, similar type of habitat, uh, really intact uh, wildlife sanctuary. And the communities we work with are on the boundary there. They're not so much within the wildlife sanctuary, which presents a different, a, a different way of working, but a different opportunity, and that's working really well. Um, we've also expanded to um, a wildlife sanctuary uh, in the Eastern Plains called Khao Seima, um, that uh, is a, a, different, um, a different landscape. It's, it's, it's much higher elevation. It's got more evergreen forest, um, has a high density of um, indigenous communities called uh, Benong communities uh, is, is their um, identity and there's a large Red Plus project there and a, and a lot of conservation work so we're looking at we're looking at rice different varieties of rice but we're also exploring other products that are threatening the forest but could be an opportunity to bring into our compliance system um, cashew and cassava are very prevalent there but there's also some really interesting 
um, uh, 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 products that, that, that the indigenous communities there um, produce that we, 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 we could look to bring to market. So there, there's lots of opportunity, I think, both both with expanding the current IBIS rice model, but to look at look at other products or other agricultural uh, uh, products that are pressuring the forest, but actually are, are not reaching, or could be really high quality, but not reaching markets that care about uh, uh, reducing impact. So we're really about connecting the best possible consumer to the most important farmers at the forest frontier. And I think that's as a philosophy and, a, and a, an approach is incredibly scalable. So I'd say Ibis Rice is really focusing on Cambodia, but this idea of um, connecting the most conscious and, and, and um, uh, able consumer from a purchase perspective to the, 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 the most important communities on forest frontiers is, is a model we, we, we like to see and are trying to scale globally to really focus on the farmers at that frontier of deforestation and to connect them to the most equitable high value markets uh, based on compliance. That, that, that's a very scalable approach. So there are other operations similar to yours operating in different parts of the world then, are there? Yes, so at different stages of, of development. And I think, um, you know, the, the, at every level, the sort of the, 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 the learning that we've um, enjoyed through Ibis Rice of how you structure the compliance, how you structure the incentives, how you engage communities, to how you find um, financiers and, and investors that can help you scale and understand the early, early sort of um, teething problems with, with companies like this, to, to the markets that we're establishing with Ibis Rice, uh, um, you know, in the UK with supermarkets, some of our feed customers. So we have a few fledgling pro projects in, in Madagascar and in Congo, uh, uh, DRC, um, that I think will benefit from, from the experience of Ibis Rice. We're trying to share as many lessons learned and as much as, as many resources as possible with those uh, other business ideas um, within, within the, the, the global WCS uh, network. Well, Nick, thank you very much for what you're doing. And thank you, too, for talking to the Sustainable Futures Report. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you very much for, for inviting me to, to talk about Ibis Rice. And, uh, you know, um, really, the success is down to uh, our farmers, our local teams, and, and, and also the consumers that choose to, to, to buy products like Ibis Rice. So, Really, it's about connecting consumers and, and farmers, consumers that care most with the farmers that matter most. And that's really what Ibis Rice as a business is there to do. I think there's huge opportunity for many other businesses to do the same. A great note to end on. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you. Nick Spencer of Ibis Rice. Find out more at ibisrice.com. And there are other links that you'll find on the Sustainable Futures Report website. As always, the next edition of the Sustainable Futures Report will be on Friday. That was the Wednesday interview from the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day. Until next time.